Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. As we are getting to the end of this chapter today, and working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to read really Matthew um, chapter 6, starting in verse 25, and I'm just going to jump right in today. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking here, says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven as fuel, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles and those who do not know God seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the words of our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and in this, in the verse, three verses, Jesus repeats this statement three times. He says, do not be anxious. That's all I got for you today. You should go home. Right? I mean, that seems pretty easy, right? Just don't worry. Just stop, stop worrying about stuff. He says it in the beginning, beginning of this uh, passage. He says it in the middle. He says it at the end. Uh, and in, in saying don't worry, it feels a little bit like saying don't think about a rainbow striped zebra. Yeah. Don't, don't think about it. Just stop thinking about it, right? Like it, it feels like it's a little bit that easy. Any of you seen there's an old clip that has gone around on the internet and gets circulated every now and then? An old clip of Bob Newhart? Uh, one of my favorite clips, it's really funny, an old, old show that I don't remember the show. This is the only thing I know about this show, but it's got Bob Newhart as a counselor, and this lady comes in and says, hey, I've been referred to you, I've told you you can help me, and so she begins, begins to sit down and says, do I need to lay on the sofa? He says, oh, we don't do that anymore, and so she sits in a chair, and she begins to, he says, well, tell me what's, what's the problem, what's bothering you, and she begins to describe what's bothering her, and this anxiety that she's got about certain situations, and she begins to pour her heart out, and and eventually, uh, Bob Newhart stops and he listens, asks a few follow-up questions, and begin, then he begins to offer some help. He says, I'm going to say to you two words, and I want you to listen very carefully. Um, and she said, do I need to write them down? And he says, I find that most people can remember these two words, but if you need to write them down, you can write them down. But I just, I want you to, to really lean in, and then I want you to incorporate these two words into your life. So she's waiting for it, and he says, 
stop it. And she steps back and she says, well, what are you trying to say? And he kind of rolls his eyes and was like, first word, S-T-O-P. Second word, I-T. Stop it. And just stop being anxious. And whenever you feel this feeling, he goes, just don't feel that way. And it, it's funny. It's a hilarious scene. It's just not very helpful, right? Uh, but whenever you see what Jesus does in this passage, it feels a little bit that way at the beginning, doesn't it? Jesus starts, he goes, hey, do not be anxious about your life. You're like, well, okay. Just change that and shift gears. But really what we're going to see is that Jesus is doing something far more helpful than that. He does give us a command, do not be anxious about your life. But he also goes beyond that to unpack how it is that we can do that and give us some truth to stand on that actually begins to slay the worry in our life if we submit ourselves to it. So here's what we're going to see in this passage. I think our discipleship or following Jesus is a really messy process in life. Like none of us get saved and everything gets fixed. Uh, we, we, we come into life and we, we, we begin to orient our lives around Christ and we begin to have a place of faith. But the reality is we're still, it's still the process of teaching an imperfect person with limited knowledge and unhealthy practices how to live a whole new way of being. And it's going to be a day-to-day battle for us to learn to operate in these new sorts of ways. And The fact is, you and I uh, operate in a default mode that sin has trapped us in that that is filled with anger and lust and greed and selfishness and worry, among other things. And so we've got to learn how to give up these self-driven ways because ultimately they provide resistance to the the way of thriving or flourishing that God wants to give us. And so we've got to learn how how to operate in a different way. So let me ask you, why do we worry so much? Is it because worry makes things better? Does worry fix anything at all? No, I mean, every study, there's studies that come out all the time that show it actually decreases the quality of your life and and decreases your ability to cope with the things around you. So worry doesn't actually fix any of the problems. In fact, the biblical term for worry here, or anxiety, uh, could also be stressed out. It actually points towards something that says it's like being strangled or choked out. Worry and anxiety don't help us flourish. They actually cut off the, the sense of life in our lives. And so this same word, biblically, it's used in, uh, the, you may remember in uh, the Gospels where Jesus goes and he goes to the house of two sisters named Mary and Martha, and they're frantically trying to get everything ready so that they can bring people into the house to hear Jesus teach, and Martha's running around doing stuff and going crazy, and finally and Mary sits down at Jesus' feet to listen, and Martha gets all upset and gets angry, and Jesus says to her, what? Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. You're distracted by so many things, but only one thing really matters. So it's that same word that Jesus used here that was used there. It's also the same word that when Jesus told the parable of the, uh, the four seeds and he talked about the different kinds of soil that the seeds can grow up in, the, the seed that it says that grew up amongst the weeds and was choked out by the worries of life so that it didn't flourish, didn't grow, didn't bear fruit, It's that same word that's used here. It's also the same word Paul later uses when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, um, go to the Lord. So this word shows up quite a bit. More than ever in my lifetime, I feel like most of us seem to be worried about our lives. Our news cycles, our social media feeds are filled with all the kinds of issues that we deal with in this little suburban universe we do. Strained marriages, uh, kids struggling to figure out how to navigate work and adulthood, um, 
race issues, insurmountable debt, mental health struggles, worker shortages. We can't get anyone to work in a job because they don't feel like those jobs that we're offering are satisfying. And there's this whole kind of turmoil that's going on in our world. We find all these places where we're worried and where we're frustrated, where we're upset. And it seems like every day I see a new article talking about this. In fact, one of the things I was reading recently in Christianity Today was saying that anxiety and depression in particular are on the rise, dominating the ways young people talk about their generation. 70% of teenagers in one study consider anxiety and depression as a major problem amongst their generation. Seven out of 10 say this is a big deal in the midst of our entire generation. Uh, suicide is currently the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 24, which is horrifying. And in that, there's unhealthy, unhealthy coping strategies we see for the way they're trying to fit in and deal with this that go from acting out sexually uh, to abusing alcohol and drugs to self-harm to um, changing their morality and their values and their virtues in order to try to fit in with a group that would, uh, that would include them. And we see this running rampant through an entire generation of people, but it's not new. It was present in our generation too, wasn't it? In fact, uh, we're not doing much better. I, I was reading another study and it was saying, uh, for those of us that aren't teenagers anymore, I mean, there's a few of you in the room, I definitely fit that category, uh, but it was saying that uh, learning to manage your stress can actually decrease your risk of, uh, of heart trouble as much as 60%. Um, you think this is a problem that we all are wrestling with and we all have to deal with? Uh, this is something that, that doesn't really respect any age group. It wrestles, uh, we all wrestle with in some way or another. So let's get in the text. Verse 25 says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And I mentioned earlier, there's three times in this passage, 35, I think 31, 30, I'm sorry, 25, 31, 34. I believe it says, do not be anxious and commands us again, not to be anxious and in each of those, though, it's interesting that every time he says that, he begins it with therefore. And so the idea of this command of don't be anxious is going to be connected to something that came before that. So anytime you see therefore, you're supposed to look and see what it's therefore. So if you go back and look at verses 19 to 24, right before 25, what is it we talked about? We looked at this a couple weeks ago. It's where he talked about you can't serve both God and money. That where your treasure, where your, where your heart or your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it talked about running after all the things of, of the world and do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where, rust and, where moth and rust would destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can touch them and where they'll last forever. And so in all of that passage in 19 to 24, really what Jesus was saying is that we are called to trust God and build our lives upon God rather than building it on money. And if you do, if you build your life on the Lord instead of on money, he says, therefore do not be anxious. There's a corollary there. It says, but if you built your life on money, you really should be anxious, right? Because it's not trustworthy, it's not dependent, it's not reliable, it's not a solid foundation for your life. In fact, all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, look, you can build your life on the sand, which is foolish, or you can build your life on the rock, which is trustworthy and wise. And so this is one of those areas. He says, look, if you've built your life on money, um, money is a bad master, and so you should be worried. And really what he's gonna, what he's gonna see is in, in 19 to 24, well, part of what Jesus is saying is that earthly possessions can become a source of desire that would distract us from the Lord. And then when you get to verses 25 to 34, he's going to say that, um, that 
that, that earthly needs can be of some sources of worry that also distract us from God. So both greed and need can lead to worry. Either one of those, because money's not a good foundation for your life, either one of those lead us to anxiety. Whether you feel like you, you just want more and more stuff and you're worried about keeping it, or whether you don't have enough and you need more, both of those can bring up stress and anxiety in our lives. Can you relate? Um, we, we can probably relate to that very easily. So what do we do with our worry? So when we look at this passage, what we're going to see is that if we're going to resist the temptation to worry, we have to learn to, one, trust God above all else, and two, seek God above all else. And so that's really where this is going to push us. In verses 26 to 30, uh, Jesus is going to give us two examples, two illustrations from nature that depict what it is that he wants us to understand. And he's going to say, look, you're one of God's creatures. He created you. And so he's going to point us to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And he's going to take those two images and help us understand something about God's care for us. Verse 26, look then at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, meaning uh, they're not working all the time. They're not hoarding. They're not collecting. They're not storing up tons of stuff in order to find the security there. And yet God provides for them all the time. Uh, there's always something available for them. Uh, they don't receive a paycheck. I, I promise you no pigeon in a park uh, has any idea what direct deposit is. Right? There's, there's not a bird that's running around managing its resources. Uh, no, no canary has a financial planner. Like they, they just go day by day. They eat whatever comes. They make it work and think, can I go on through life? Uh, lions, friends, don't use iPhones. Elephants don't check Insta and Snap. Um, Zira, you know, you think of cheetahs. Cheetahs don't have a storage unit. Uh, that's kind of what Jesus is saying is, look, all these animals seem to make it just fine in the world. Why are you running around doing, you have, you have every advantage above them, and yet you're a slave more in ways that they're not by the way in which you tend to live. They seem oftentimes better off than we do, don't they? In fact, they seem to care for their lives, but they also seem to care for those around them better than we do. In many ways, they care for, um, they, they seem to have a better handle on this than we do. So Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. When he talks about your life, he's talking about your physical existence, right? He just gives out those three examples. Your, uh, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, the, the stuff. Uh, let me ask you this. What, what takes most of your thought processes and your energy during the week? It's usually running around after all that stuff, isn't it? It's running around after the stuff that just makes life happen. And Jesus, and Jesus says, look, don't be so anxious about all this stuff. It's why he taught us to pray in, in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's daily dependence upon God that the ultimate provider of your needs is not your ability to run around and store up and collect and, and find security in your stuff, but it's in a relationship with, with the God of the universe, the God who made you, the God who cares for you. And so now let me just say this. The point is not that we're supposed to be lazy slackers and just lay there on the sofa and hope that a loaf of bread drops in our lap every day. Like, that's not the point, right? The, the point is not that we're supposed to go, hey, it's society's responsibility to provide food for me and someone should bring me a delivery every day and I'm just gonna sit and wait. That's not really what Jesus is saying. I mean, birds, like you've seen chickens, they run around and peck all day long, right? Like they, they actually have to have means of working to get something to eat, but the ultimate reality of their lives is not built upon their ability to do that. The ultimate reality of their lives is built on trust in the Lord. And so uh, Jesus' idea here is critical, that our ultimate trust is not in ourselves or in other people, but in our Heavenly Father. And then Jesus points out um, a really, really significant thing. He asks a really significant question. 
He just stops and you can almost feel him turning and just looking in the eyes of the people around him that he's preaching to. And he says, are you not more valuable than they? Are you not of more value than the birds? And he wants you to understand really the logic of his argument that if God provides for all of these and your heavenly father takes care of all these things, don't you think then he would also take care of you? Um, And it's an important point that we'll come back to in just a minute. I think this is why so many of us live with this kind of internal fear. We're, we're afraid sometimes of being exposed. Uh, and in some ways, um, we, we know that we don't have everything under control and we've bought the lie that being an adult or being a man or being a strong woman means that we have everything together. It means that we've got it all figured out. And uh, this is one of the key manhood lies and one of the manhood studies we, we, we've looked at as a church that there's three lies that we tend to believe is that, uh, that somehow being an adult or being a man means that we, that we are in control. It uh, means that we're going to be significant. It means that we're going to be comfortable. And we idolize those things and make those things things that we pursue with all of our life and we run after those things as, uh, that we need to be in control. We need to be significant. We need to be comfortable. Um, it's also why we talk with our kids about adulting. I'm about to send two kids off to college. They're both uh, reading a book this summer on adulting. Like, how do you just become an adult? And it's something that in our culture, we've decided that kids don't know how to do, so we're gonna have to teach them how to do basic stuff that everyone kind of used to assimilate and sort of know how to do. And now we're saying, well, maybe you need some instruction in this. We're gonna try to help you figure out uh, what this is. And there's a reality there that's true, right? Like you want your kids to grow up and leave the basement someday. Like your kids need to, they need to be able to, to go get a job and to, to make a living and they need to be able to provide for themselves and they need to make wise decisions and they need to do all these things and they need to be launched out in the world to do, build their own families and do good stuff. And so we want to encourage that sort of thing, but there's another side of that we also have to help them understand, right? Which is that you are not the one that's ultimately in control. You're not, it's not ultimately about your significance. It's not ultimately about your comfort. But you're going to have to learn to trust the Lord. You're going to have to learn to walk with him. And so there's another side to that responsibility argument that says, you have a father in heaven who values you, who sees you as a creature worth caring about, who is going to provide for you, and whom you can trust as the ultimate authority in your life. We need to foster that sort of a thing in the lives of our kids as well. What you see and what Jesus is saying here is that ultimately, when people seek to keep everything together and provide themselves apart from God, what it ultimately leads to is anxiety and worry. That when we're fighting to do everything in our own strength, and we think everything depends on us, the end result of going down that road is that we're going to be anxious and stressed and worried. And we're going to be bottled up internally. And we're seeing the effect of that in all kinds of ways. But rather, um, that, that our hearts are not to focus on self and laying up earthly treasures and security, but we find ultimately that peace and security when we lay up treasures in heaven and seek the Lord in a relationship with him. And so that's the contrast that Jesus wants us to see here. It's why Jesus points us to a truth that's far more reliable than human effort, right? He stops and he says, look at the birds. Are you not more valuable than they are? Uh, I want you to step back and just think with me a minute about what it is that Jesus is doing here. Uh, Jesus is preaching a sermon, right? We call this the Sermon on the Mount. So Mount's a hill, and Jesus is up on a hillside, and he's likely standing, and uh, they, they may be gathered around, some standing, but some seated. But as they're there, and Jesus is preaching to them, you can kind of imagine that Jesus outside is, is in the middle of the sermon looking around. He sees some birds, and he goes, hey, look at the birds of the air. And he's given this illustration. Look at the flowers of the field, and he gives this illustration. And 
he's just helping them understand. He says, God loves, uh, loves and provides for them. Are you not more valuable than they? But I want you to step back even further than just that kind of bird's eye view of that scene. I want you to step back and think of all eternity, what's happening here. Um, Christians believe in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who are eternally existing. So if you imagine going all the way back to the time before there were birds, before there were flowers, before there were humans, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit in this perfect triune, one God and three persons, and they decide they're going to create a universe, and as they do, they, breathe, they bring this, this new life into existence, and they create a world where there's light and dark, where there's a sea and there's land, where things begin to grow up out of it, and every time they create something, it says, using the image of a person, perfect creation that happens in seven days. It says that all these things unfolded, and as they did, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he got to day six, right before the end, and he created man and woman. And he said he formed them, and he made them in his own image. And he breathed life into them. And not only was it good, he says, it is very good. So good that on the next day, he said, I can rest. My work, is, my work here is through of creation. Humanity is the, the signature creation of the God of the universe and he made everything and put this perfect world together in order, to, in order for humanity to inhabit. And he said, these are gonna be the people that bear my fingerprint and take my glory throughout the whole earth. Go, multiply, fill the earth care for all creation as my vice regents. You're my vice presidents scattered throughout the globe to care for everything, but you're the one on whom I've set, uh, I've set my glory and you're the one on the, that is the apple of my eye. So Jesus was there when all that was created. And so now Jesus has become one of us and he's taken on human flesh and he's standing on a hillside preaching to the people that he created. He's looking at the flowers that he, he helped create and he's looking at the birds of the air that are flying that he helped create and he looks at the people that he loves and he says, are you not more valuable than they? I was there when it all began. You are of infinite worth to me. So from, from, from eternity past to that moment, think how powerful that would be in Jesus' eye as he's preaching that word. Now think about it going forward. Jesus also says, in fact, you are so valuable that soon I will go to a cross and I will lay down my life in order to make sure that you're secure and taken care of for all time. And so Jesus from that mountain is eventually going to a cross and he'll be lifted up, he'll bleed out, he'll be buried in a tomb, he'll raise and be ascend and he'll go to the heavens and they will rejoice and he says, that's how valuable you are. In fact, scriptures say, if God did not spare his own son, will he withhold then anything from you? God sent his son to die for us, to prove to us our value to him, to make sure that we would be cared for for all time. Not only that, if that wasn't enough, he ascends, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and what's he say? I will send you another, I will send you a helper, and my spirit will take up residence in you. Does the spirit live in a flower? Does the spirit live in a bird? No, it takes up residence in the people of the earth who are his. And he says, and I, that spirit will make sure it's a deposit of what's to come and I will return and I will set up a new thing and you are gonna reign with me in eternity in a world where all things right. Friends, do you feel how valuable you are to Jesus? So now when you go back and you imagine Jesus in this saying, friends, don't be anxious 
Are you not the most valuable thing to me? Should that not just dissipate our anxiety? Should that not make our, wa- our worry just fade away? Um, that's, that's what I think Jesus wants us to understand here. So as we think about this, let me give you a few principles as you're wrestling with how you can slay your worry. Uh, the first thing you've got to understand if you're going to slay this day-to-day battle with worry is you are valuable to God. And you have to start there. In this battle against worry, it doesn't start with me, it starts with God, and God says, you're valuable. I made you, I sent my son for you, I put my spirit in you, and I will come back for you. You're valuable. And so, in terms of how you're gonna slay worry, that's the, that's the place that you start. And the second thing that Jesus can say in verse 27 is, not only are you valuable, but your worry is worthless. Uh, another guy said, worry is, uh, worry is useless, unnecessary, and unworthy of God. Uh, I love that. In verse 27, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Uh, any of you teenagers want to be taller? Like, that was just always one of those things. Like, guys that play sports, it's like, man, I always want to be a little bit taller. So you wear a little thicker shoes when they measure you and hope that you like, got over six foot. Uh, I actually had a physical one time uh, for football, and they measured me, and they literally wrote down 5'11 and 7 eighths. And I just looked at the doctor, and I was like, dude, come on. Like, give me six foot. But, you, you know, you have these things. You want to be a little bit taller. You want to, you want to be a little more significant. But, like, there's nothing I could do to will myself just to be taller. Just to be like, ah, I want to be taller. That's what he says worry is like. He says worry, which one of you by worrying is going to lengthen your life or make your life better? Like none of you can just go, oh, I'm going to worry and I'm going to somehow stretch my life out by managing everything just perfectly. We, we can't do it. And so our worry really is worthless. And Jesus gives this mild rebuke here and just saying, look, don't be, wor- don't be, wor- uh, don't be foolish. You, you can't throw your life after something that isn't going to change anything. It, it really doesn't add up to anything. It's not worth being absorbed in material things because it's, it's unproductive. It won't actually change anything. And then you get down to verses uh, 28 to 30. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? And he looks and says, uh, consider the lilies of the field. He's like, Solomon had everything. Solomon uh, had wisdom. He had uh, kings. He had wives. He had uh, servants. He had everything he could possibly have. He could have dressed himself up as good as, uh, as, good as anyone in, in, in the history of the universe. And yet he's not as pretty as one of these little flowers that didn't do anything. They just grew. And so he's saying all of your effort isn't really going to be of, of great value. In fact, he says flowers, these flowers are picked in a day and they're flung in the oven. And what would happen there was they would gather uh, just the, the grass or the flowers, the wild stuff that was growing, and they would go and they would use it to start their fires to, uh, to, in order to cook upon or in order to warm their huts. And so they would go, and, and that's what he says is, look, this stuff's just here today and it's thrown in the fire tomorrow, but... How much more will God take care of you if, than something that's just fuel for, fuel for today's cooking? Um, God cares for you and will provide so much more for you. And so he points us to God's goodness, but also towards God's creativity. And so I think the things we need to understand here is the first move to moving from, uh, from a life built on worry to a life built on flourishing is to recognize that, that you're valuable to God, but secondly, to realize that worry is not gonna fix anything. Uh, that's not actually gonna solve the problem. And so then you go to really the third point I want us to see today, that, that way, one of the principles for slaying our worries is that God is worthy of your trust. That if your worry is worthless, God is worthy of your trust. And notice what Jesus says at the end of, uh, end of verse 30. He says, oh, you of little faith. Uh, what's he saying there? 
He's saying, I, I realize you're trying. You're, you're trying so hard and you're so ang- anxious and you're so wrapped around a pole uh, in terms of trying to manage your life in all these different ways. And he says, you, you have such little faith that, that, that somehow there's a correlation here between our worry and our faith. That there's somehow a relationship between these two. And when our faith decreases, our worry tends to increase. And when our faith increases, our worry tends to decrease. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And why do you, um, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Saying, there's a correlation there. When we worry about all these things, it's a sign that we're just not trusting the Lord. We're not trusting the Lord to provide those things. And then verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. What things? Just the normal stuff, the material things, the things that provide for life, the things that make him happy. He says, the Gentiles, and the Gentiles uh, in the New Testament are really those who do not know God. And so he's saying that those who don't know God build their life around a pursuit of these things. That word to seek um, could be to run after to pursue, to be ambitious to accumulate or to, to grab hold of or take hold of these things. And so when you think about those who seek after all these things, you could substitute there and say those who run after all these things. Now, in that verse, you notice there's three different times he says, uh, he repeats it one phrase. And it's all these things. That those who don't know God run after all these things, but your heavenly father already knows that you need all these things. And then he says, therefore, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added to you. Isn't that amazing? So apart from God, you can run after all these things. But what he says, the logic of the argument is you don't have to run after all these things because your heavenly father already knows that you need all these things. So seek him, run after him, and he will give you all those things. You'll receive those from him. Do you see how that works? You following the, the kind of reason and the logic of his argument? He's talking ultimately about the ambitions and attentions of our life. What are the things that, that we pursue? When you look at your day timer, when you look at, uh, when you look at the, 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 the mental energy that you expend in the course of a day or a week, where does it say you're aiming your life? Don't run after all these things. You don't have to because your father already knows. So seek the father and he'll take care of these things. Friends, Jesus is trying to help us understand that our anxiety is driven from a heart that runs after and seeks after security, peace, comfort, significance that's found in all the physical things of the world. He says running after those things don't actually give you peace, significance, security, or comfort. They actually give you anxiety, worry, and stress. So stop running after those things and run after, my Lord, run after the Lord, your heavenly father. He already knows what you need. This is also part of our witness, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. When, when he says the Gentiles run after these things, um, what does it say to a watching world whenever Christians run after all these things? There's not a distinctiveness to our life. There's not a sense of us being light shining in the world. There's a sense in which our witness and our, uh, that this is a part of our witness and our testimony to others. Ultimately, anxiety is a strong indicator of what you're really trusting with your life. Do you live as one who has a heavenly father that your life is dependent upon, that you trust or not? Now, this is really an important thing, and Jesus elevates it by, by putting it at this level of saying, those who don't know God run after things here, but those who do know God run after 
uh, run after God's kingdom and his righteousness, that Jesus elevates this as a really foundational issue of our lives, doesn't he? He makes it an incredibly significant thing. Now, what is the gospel? When we talk about the good news, that Christ has come, that we have life in him, what is the, what is the message uh, of the gospel? Well, it begins with this, you and I are not enough. Uh, that that I'm, not, I'm not holy enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not righteous enough, I'm not, uh, I'm not whole enough, and I'm not healthy enough. But I need, I need someone from outside, I need a doctor, I need, I need a helper, I need someone to come to help me. And so uh, Christ came and became a substitute for us in order to give us that which we could not earn on our own. And so uh, when you think about um, the gospel, it's ultimately learning to trust that God is sufficiently able to provide the forgiveness of my sins, to provide my adoption as his child, to provide my eternal security, to provide new life uh, through his spirit and make me a new creation and to inhabit me and give me an eternal well-being underneath his care and his rule and his reign. That, That ultimately that's what it looks like to trust him. So knowing that, do you see how trusting God with your day to day existence ought to flow out of you trusting God with your eternal life? That those two ought to be correlated, they ought to be connected, that if we're gonna trust him to take care of everything, then we can trust him to take care of the day-to-day stuff too. And that I think is kind of what Jesus is, getting, is driving at here. Now, let me just say this, maybe you're new here today, maybe you're new to this whole thing called church. Um, maybe you're not quite sure about all this stuff. But maybe... Maybe you do have a sense that your life is filled with some worry and some anxiety. Maybe you do have a sense that when I run after all these things, it never really, it never really fills me up. That whenever I try to bank on all these things that I, that I build my life on, and I think that if I just get this next job, if I just get this next promotion, if we just buy the, the bigger house, if we just get the next thing, that somehow my life is going to be secure, significant. Uh, more peaceful, more comfortable. And, and yet when you get to that new milestone, you find out that the problems followed you and they're still there. Um, I think that worry and anxiety, what Jesus is saying is that ought to remind us that we need, we need an ambition. We need to seek after something that's bigger, better, greater, and higher than the earthly stuff. And so there's an invitation for all of us that um, says, I'm not gonna try to meet my needs through my finances, my career prospects, and all those things, but God doesn't work that way. And so ultimately, I'm gonna trust him to provide for me, and I'm gonna run after him. And maybe today, what you need to hear is all that anxiety should be a warning light on the dashboard of your life saying, you need a savior. You need a God, a Father in heaven who will care for you and who can deliver you and who's stronger than, and more capable than you are to meet the, the ultimate needs of your life. So that's, I think, ultimately what Jesus is saying here. And to flourish, we've got to get to a place where we learn to trust the Lord with all of our lives and learn to seek him above everything else. You know, it was interesting. I got my little girl a bike this week, um, actually last week, and we got her a new bike because she'd outgrown the little one she had and went on a bike ride with her that next day. And um, as we're riding, she was going down this hill and she was just cackling as we were flying down this hill and the wind's in her hair and she's laughing and just having a good time. And, and I remember asking her, I was like, do you remember when we first started learning how to ride a bike? Like, if you ever taught a kid how to ride a bike, 
This is not the easiest thing, parent, easiest parenting chore that you ever amount to. And some kids are, are going to be more aggressive, and some kids are going to be more fearful. And uh, sweet Kate was just one of those that, like, I had to, like, hold her on the bike and was like, no, we are going to learn this. No, we are going to get this. And, like, we had to, we, I mean, it was just a battle to get her on the bike, to get her to trust it, to get her to learn it, to get her to actually jump and, like, push down on that pedal and just take off. And, and all those little things we had to do. And I said, do you remember how hard it was when you started? And she said, yeah. She said, but daddy, you just didn't tell me how much fun it would be. And what she realized later was that as much as a battle it was then, she grew into it. And as she began to trust the bike, she began to enjoy the process of actually riding a bike and flying down a hill. And when we went to get it, she said, I want a mountain bike so I can go over stuff and do all this other things. And so she's now enjoying the process of trusting the bike, but it was a battle early on. Any of you relate to that in the spiritual life? Sometimes you start off and it's like, I don't know if I can trust the Lord with this thing. But what I want you to see and what I want Jesus, think Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is there's a place where you can learn to trust the Lord. And it's like riding a bike with wind in the air, laughing and going, this is so much better than I ever imagined it could be. But it may not feel that way from the very beginning. But that's why ultimately we get to this fourth point of run after God in God's ways. Notice what he says in verse 33. It says, but you, they can run after all those other things, but you run after first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And Jesus is telling us that the world system can't, uh, of chasing things on earth doesn't ultimately provide uh, the things we're looking for, but if we run after the Lord, we'll ultimately receive all of those things. To seek after, to run after, to worry over, uh, really are interchangeable here throughout this passage. What he's saying is, and if you're gonna let your mind be obsessed with something, don't let it be on managing all this stuff. Let your mind be obsessed, pursue, run after, chase after God and his kingdom and his righteousness. Um, what does it mean to seek after spiritual things? We don't have really time to unpack that. But what it means ultimately is that, um, that God is worthy, uh, that God has a kingdom and he's a king, to whom we surrender, that he is glorious and beautiful and better than anything else on earth, that everything that we would chase after here would pale in comparison to the goodness and the, and the beauty and the holiness that, um, that makes up who our Lord is. And so his reign and his rule in our lives is the only way to bring about true flourishing. And whenever we worry, whenever we lust, whenever we, uh, we seek greed, whenever we chase after all these other things, it ultimately creates resistance to the rule and reign of God in our lives that brings about true joy and abundant life. And so he says, seek first. That means primary, uh, that, that there's an order. It's not just about the time. It's ultimately that we seek him as the ultimate, as the primary, as the first thing that we build our lives around. And everything else falls under that. Can I tell you something? That the secondary things, the stuff of the earth, we can only really enjoy them in a healthy way if they're ordered underneath the ultimate thing of God. If we seek him first, then all this other stuff falls into place and we can actually enjoy it in a healthy sort of a way. So then you get down to verse 34. As he closes, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love how realistic that is, right? Jesus says, look, there is worries in the world. Like there's, there's hard stuff that we have to face. Uh, there's, there's bills that have to get paid. Uh, there's surgeries that have to be done. Uh, there's people in our families that need to be cared for. 
Uh, there's kids that have to be sent off to college and there's all these things are going to come our way. There, you've got to find a way to put food on the table. Otherwise, uh, your kids are going to scream and cry and it's going to get ugly at the house, right? He says, but just take it one day at a time. Let, let tomorrow's worries handle uh, There'll be enough worry um, there for you uh, for the next day. I'm sufficient for the day as its own trouble. And it's a day by day thing. We learn to trust the Lord. We learn to walk with him. We learn to rely on him day by day. Um, so what do we do with this passage? Where do we, where do we go with it? Um, uh, first, I think it's, it's interesting to me that it's such a big issue. Uh, that Jesus makes this a really significant part of his sermon because it's a really significant part of our lives, right? Um, there's not a single person in this room that can't relate to anxiety, stress, and worry, at least at some level on some days. Uh, we, all, we all wrestle with this. And what Jesus is, is ultimately driving at here is that God wants your whole heart. And he wants all of who you are. And what ultimately brings about our stress and our anxiety is when we have a divided heart. When a heart's chasing after two things and trying to find security in two places and trying to find our comfort and peace in two different places. Imagine pulling out a bow and arrow and having a target over on this side of the room and a target on this side of the room and saying, I have one arrow and I have to shoot both targets. Um, what's gonna be going on internally if that's where you're, if that's where you're living? like you're going from here to there and you're stuck in an anxious and a stressed out sort of a state. And what Jesus says is take the one arrow of your life and add it, aim it at the one target that can actually satisfy and meet the needs of your life. And so he encourages us to drive it in that way. Friends, there's two, two big ideas that I want to make sure you understand today coming from this. The first thing Jesus does in this passage when he comes and he looks at your anxiety, the very first thing is, is he offers this really tender statement, right? He offers a statement of comfort to us and he says, are you not more valuable than everything else? Do you understand how important you are to me and to your heavenly father? And he says, start there. So the first way, thing we have, to, we have to take hold of as we deal with our worry and anxiety is go, God loves me and I can rest in that. And so there's this tender word of comfort. And then there's this kind of, this word of challenge that comes on the backside. He says, oh, you have little faith. Seek me first. Stop, stop running after all this other stuff and seek after me. And those two things go hand in hand and ultimately allow us to, to fight the battle day by day. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that we would, as um, those who are following Jesus and trying to walk in, um, to walk in his ways, God, would you help us just take a breath today that, our, that we would stop running after uh, security, peace, comfort, significance, and all the things of this world, but that we would ultimately, that we'd, that we'd seek you first. Father, even now, would you help us just to see your goodness, would you help us to be convinced of your love for us? Father, and if nothing else, help us to look to the cross, to know that you did not spare even your own son, but you're willing to send him for us to prove your love so that we might trust you more. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this redemption sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media.